0: Colin asked me to introduce myself to a little bit, and there's really much to introduce. I don't have a book. I don't have a CD. Uh, the only fame I have is my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? And I am so thankful that uh, God redeemed me nearly 40 years ago, redeemed me from my, Spurgeon likes to refer to it, my wild career of sin. If you were to run into me, Today if you're a dad, you would pray to God, your daughter never got near me. I was the guy who looked like ace freely and kiss and had my hair down to here riding a chopped motorcycle, doing everything associated with that look. And then God wonderfully, miraculously, and somewhat of a Damascus Road experience uh, brought me to himself, transformed me. And then God, in his wonder and his goodness, gave me a wife who uh, has been my sweet, beloved wife for 38 years now. And we were able to come together to the Institute. I'm guessing it's probably 35, 36 years ago when we were here. And uh, we had black hair, we weighed, weighed a lot less uh, back then, and we able to do a lot more than we can do now. But it was such a joy, and God led us from this place, uh, long story short, to do a church plant in North Georgia where I've had the privilege of serving there uh, 32 years as a senior pastor, and just recently, by God's wonderful design, was able to install the second pastor, only the second pastor of our church, and I got to stay and serve as an associate under our new senior pastor, and it has been such a joy and a delight to get to do that. I do have the privilege of serving as the chairman of the board uh, here at the school. I get to come and teach at the school from time to time, and Um, My joy is also getting to do something that I did my graduate work, my doctoral degree in and my D-man, a concentration in biblical counseling, which is a unique, non-integrated way of counseling with Scripture alone uh, to travel the country and around the world to train pastors uh, in how we do that. So that's just the short and skinny of who I am. Well, not the skinny, but the short of it for sure. And so I am delighted. I really feel that coming to this pulpit, to this platform this evening really is very, very, very humbling to me. I stand on a lot of shoulders that have gone before me. Giants, you heard about a couple of them already tonight, who have books and stuff, right? And uh, so I am just so humbled and I'm just grateful that you would carve out about... 40 minutes of this evening with me to really study the Word and to think about this theme that we're going to be focusing on together in my sessions over the next few days, which is praying with confidence. Now, as you think about praying with confidence, it would be one of those questions that maybe we might ought to address first. What does it really mean to pray with confidence, right? I mean, you would think that when you gather together as a group of Christians, we all know what that means, that confidence means, and we would fill in the blank. But that really isn't where we are in our world or in even the Christian world today. When you start thinking about confidence, you will sometimes hear in the world in which we live in, people talking about how proud they are of a person who had the confidence Or the courage to really step out and go against the norms of society. To have the courage to come out as it were and to say, I am this or I am that. And people just praise and laud them for having that kind of courage. Well, surely we're not talking about that kind of courage when we gather together and we talk about praying with courage. We can just act any old way we want. No, there's something has got to govern what we mean by courage. But even if you were to survey a group of Christians and say, well, what does it mean to you to have courage, and particularly courage when it comes to praying? You could have all kinds of possible answers there. For some people it means, well, I just, everything I ask, I'm confident, no doubt, 100%, I'm going to have whatever I pray for. It's kind of like all I do is go to the prayer vending machine of heaven, I take out my tokens of faith, And I just put them in, pull the lever, and boom, out comes whatever I want. And so for some people, that's what they think it means to pray with confidence. And then there are others who would say, well, you know, confidence really isn't something you can have. It's really something you have in someone. You know, I don't really ever have confidence. They might say, all I do is I pray and I say, okay, Lord, whatever you want. But I am not sure at all that you're going to do anything. I'll just let your will be done. And so, again, that's just to say that whenever we start using a word, even a word like confidence, it can mean a lot to us. So tonight, I want us to kind of get our minds around this theme. What are we talking about when we say we are praying with confidence? And here's why that is important. However, we use a word, it does two things. It reflects and it shapes our understanding of that word. Like if I talk about marriage, right, I could use the word marriage. And in the culture, that means something totally different than I'm thinking about. When I think of marriage and maybe you're thinking of marriage, you're thinking of what God has designed marriage to be. But the Supreme Court may have a whole other concept of what marriage is. You see, when we use words, words begin to use us. And they bring on to us a certain reflection of what we think about something and it starts shaping how we understand that word. And you could pick any word in our world today, love and peace and happiness. Pick the word God. And whatever that means to someone is going to reflect their thinking and shape their understanding of that issue. And this is true when it comes to the word confidence in our word. that we're going to be thinking about over the next few days. And that's not only important for us to understand it because it's the theme of a conference and because maybe people have varying views about it. It is a central theme that runs all the way through the scriptures. Think about this. Every time you open your Bible and you begin to read through that, you're going to run across these phrases and these statements about have courage, be confident. And, and maybe you have a translation that will read, be of good cheer. You know, does that mean I just get really happy? Like be cheerful, Right. What does that mean for that? Well, what it really means is to us that it's because of someone and something that we are able to say, I have courage and confidence. Think about it like this. In the Bible, whenever uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 50, Jesus gave the command to the disciples who saw him walking on the water, and he said he wanted him to come, what did he say? Be of good cheer, be courageous, be confident, Why? Because it's me. See, there's always attached in the Bible a reason for someone to have courage. And it is always who God is, what He is doing, and what He is revealing. And whenever you get that understanding, you begin to see that courage is something that is ignited within us as believers because of something outside of us. It's not that we just say to people, you need to be strong, man. Come on, you need to be courageous. What we need to be doing is helping them to see that the courage is not in and of themselves. It's really outside of themselves. And you will hear me say this phrase so often in my life and in ministry to people. It is never that our problems are too big. It's always that our view of God is always just too small. The bigger He becomes, and I don't mean you make Him bigger, but the bigger your understanding of Him, the bigger you comprehend Him, the bigger your courage becomes. And the confidence, where I come from in the South and the country, people love to say it like this. Listen, if you have a God like we have in the Bible and you're confident in him, you could preach the gospel with gasoline shorts on at the gates of hell, right? (laughs) You wouldn't be afraid to do that. Because of who He is. And that's the theme that runs through the Bible over and over again. Wherever God commands us to be courageous or confident or to be of good cheer, He always gives us a reason for that. And He is the reason for that. And we could just walk through tons of passages like that. But where we're going to go over the next few days is found in Philippians chapter 1. And it's there where I want you to turn in your Bible tonight to. Because there we're going to spend our time for the next three sessions that I have with you so that we begin to get a picture of what confidence looks like in a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. Now I want to draw your attention just right now to one verse, and that is verse 19 of chapter 1. And you notice there's something of a confidence exuding from Paul and, there's, and it should amaze you if you know where he's at and why he's able to say this when he writes in verse 19. For I know, that is a word of confidence. I, I, I'm not counting on this. I'm not hoping this. I'm not wishing this. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So obviously, when we open this book of Philippians, that again, I know I'm talking to the choir when I say, let's look at this guy, Paul, and let's think about what he's saying here, that this is something you know so very well. But this kind of confidence that he has is the kind of confidence I hope we begin to comprehend, particularly as it relates to prayer, because that's what Paul is saying here. I know, I am confident that this... Whatever this is, we'll figure out in a little bit. We'll turn out to my for my deliverance, and we'll figure out what he was confident his deliverance would be. But he knows it's going to happen because of two things. The supply of the Spirit and your prayers. That is the voice of a confident man. He is not confident that he and God can just handle this thing. But God is going to be doing something by his spirit and God is going to be using his people to accomplish that. And that breeds and fills Paul with some incredible courage in his soul. Now... Just like any passage of Scripture, you know this if you have studied your Bible, we all are aware of this, that in order for us to know what he's confident about and what he means by the fact he is going to be delivered, and he's confident of that deliverance through the supply of the Spirit and your prayer, we need to back up a little bit and kind of figure out what's going on in this story. And why, when you figure this out, It is so amazing, it is mind-boggling that Paul would have this kind of confidence. And not that just he would have it, but he was confident that those believers in Philippi could have the same confidence as well. So so I don't like to leave people guessing, wonder where I'm going. So I want to show you the three things we're going to talk about. Tonight, tomorrow night, and then Sunday morning. The first thing you learn in this passage overall is that sometimes life seems to go in the wrong direction. And I worded that very specifically and carefully. It's not going in the wrong direction, but that's how it looks to you. It looks like when you think you should be going forward, it feels like you're really going backwards. I don't know about you if you've ever been there. You've been in that place in your life and you're wondering if you maybe look at maybe something in your home that just doesn't feel like you're moving forward with your, with your spouse or with your children. Maybe it's something in the job. Maybe it's something in the country that you think is just going in the wrong direction and something is just not right. Everything seems to be going in the wrong direction. That's what Paul is going to talk to us about in verses 12 through 14. and We're going to focus on that tonight and how that when it looks like you're going in the wrong direction, it is the ripe opportunity for us to begin to develop the kind of courage and confidence that Paul has when he says, I know, I know this is going to work out for my deliverance. Really, Paul, when everything in your world is going in the opposite direction, that reverse means forward for you. Well, we'll learn what we have to do in order to have that kind of confidence, even when life seems to be going in the wrong direction. And then we're going to look at verses 19 through uh, tomorrow night, 15 through 18, where I've chosen four words out of this section of Scripture where Paul uses the phrase in our translation. We have God has appointed me. A better translation to me is God has put me here. And really, it's possible for us sometimes to think that life is going in the wrong direction and this really isn't where I need to be. But Paul is going to help us understand that's exactly where you do need to be. Because it's there where you are in that situation and whatever the context is that you really begin to see nothing can shake my courage and confidence in that situation. Looks like it's going in the wrong direction, but now I'm confident. God has put me here, and we'll figure that out. And then Sunday morning, we're going to ask this question, why do you need to pray? I mean, really, isn't just Paul able in verses 19 to 20 to say, hey, I've been telling you all about my life, seemingly going in the wrong direction. God put me here. I just wanted you guys to know, me and God have this thing. No, he doesn't say that. He is desperate, really desperate, as a confident man, That unless the people of Philippi, the believers around him, pray, and there's three specific things he's going to ask them to pray. Unless they pray, he's not really sure he's going to make it. But if they do pray, he knows he will make it. It will turn out for his deliverance. So that's where we're going. Some of you have already got those three. You're ready to... Close, let's pray and go home because I know what it's about now, right? Well, we're going to tease this out and dig deeper into this and a we'll little understand a little more about it as we first of all tonight think about what do we do when life seems to be going in the wrong direction. Now, again, just please, uh, at least give me a moment to just kind of unpack my soul a little bit in verses 12 and 13 and show you what it means when it tells us he is a man who has confidence, right? Notice what he says, verse 12, as we're going to work our way over the next few days down to verses 19 and 20. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm not so sure I would call being in prison, quote, my circumstances, right? <laughs> but that's how he describes it. These are my circumstances. This is the situation that I am in. Now, what's really interesting about this is that we know Paul is in prison in, where? where is he at? You know? Rome. Rome. That's right, Rome. Now, one thing about Paul that always interested me, that he was always Looking forward, his eye was always getting on getting to Rome and all of his missionary journeys, wherever he went in the most major seaports and cities of life. He always kept saying, but I want to get to Rome. In fact, you know, that's why he writes to the Roman Christians and he says to them, I desire to come. I want to come. I'm longing to come. I've been hindered to come, but I want to come to Rome. It was kind of like the bucket list goal here, like, on my list of where I want to go is rome but it wasn't rome for a tourist attraction and truly rome had every amazing a magical thing of the day you could go see but it wasn't there that paul wanted to go for those things paul thought if i could just get to rome it really is like the the hub of the empire it is the place where, if I can take the gospel, it will reach and turn the world upside down from there going out. Paul had in his mind, if I could just get to Rome, I could put my finger on the very nerve and the pulse of the entire Roman Empire. If I could get to Rome, it would send a ripple effect that would sweep across the world of his day. If I could just get to Rome, it would strike a blow for the gospel and the widest far-reaching portions of the world. Everything about Paul was, this is the place, if I could just get to there. And that's what he's praying. And that's what he's longing for. And Paul just says, I want you to know about my circumstances. I am in Rome. But I didn't get here the way I thought I was going to get here. And I just wonder if you tonight sitting here have really thought about something that you just have a passion for, a longing for, a desire. God, that's what I want. I can see just how that would serve the purposes of the Gospel and your kingdom and the things you want to do. And I just want to get there and everything seems to be hindering me, but I want to get there. Maybe God is getting you there, but it's just not the path you thought it would be. It's one of those times where we learn to sing that old Gospel song that when we can't trace His hand, we will trust His heart. So Paul ends up here in Rome and he's in there as a prisoner and he is there calling it my circumstances. And Paul wants them to know not so that they will feel sorry for him, not that they will go, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because, I mean, think about it. It's been 10 years since Paul planted the church in Philippi. It's been four years since he's seen them face to face. And he's not writing to say, hey, we haven't seen each other in a while. I just want to catch you up on what's happening to me. He's telling them this because he wants to ignite something in them. He wants to cause them to really realize that, listen, this is a story not about, well, if Paul can do what he's doing in those difficult situations, then I can do what I'm doing in my free situation. No, Paul is saying in your worst of situations, you can do what I am doing. So here's a man filled and riddled with all kind of confidence. Think about how important that would be for the Philippian believers to hear of this kind of confidence coming from Paul. I mean, maybe, I mean, they don't have Instagram. They don't have any social media outlets. They can't get on there and check his status. I mean, they don't know what's going on with Paul. It's four years since he has left. All they remember is that he was taken away and changed and he's gone to a trial. He was in a shipwreck on the way. They've heard all this. It's been passed down to them. They don't know what's going on with Paul. They are really troubled, probably, about what could be going on with him. And then maybe maybe some of the Philippian believers are thinking something like this. Well, I, I, I guess when Paul gets out of jail, then we can kind of pick up with what we were doing. And just the opposite is true here, Paul. Paul isn't writing them to say, hey, I just want you to know I'm on some kind of hiatus here. I'm kind of stopped for a little while, but when I get out of prison, man, we're going to pick back up and we're really going to keep this thing going. No, it wasn't that at all. Paul wants them to know that right there in the situation, in my circumstances, this is where this kind of confidence is most developed. And so he says this confidence in verse 12, he has has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel not just the progress of the gospel but circle that, think about that the greater progress in other words, the place I am that looks like, this wasn't how I would have gotten to Rome, has been used by God to not just advance the gospel, advance God's work, but greater than he ever imagined greater than ever in other words, Paul is not preoccupied with his predicament here, he's occupied with what God is doing And how God is working out what seems to be going in the wrong direction, maybe from many people's perspective, God is working out His purposes. And He is doing that. I love the way one commentator writes. He says, "...the messenger of the gospel may be arrested, but the message still advances. He may be stopped, but the gospel surges. He may be persecuted, but the gospel progresses." That is Paul's confidence. And he wants the Philippians to have this kind of IV hooked up to him so they can get that instilled into them as well. That's the intention. This is the kind of confidence. Finally, look at what he says in verse 13. And then I want to make a couple points to apply this to us. He says, So that... My circumstances, me being in prison, have caused greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Again, I just find this amazing every time I think of this courageous man in this context surrounded by the elite of the elite guards. I mean, they are the Navy SEALs of the day, the FBI, the CIA, they're everybody rolled into one, and Paul's got them right there with him 24 hours a day as they rotate the shifts, and the chain that he's talking about is a cuff like a a handcuff with 18 inches between him and the other person. And here he says is that this circumstance, This situation, the way God got me here has caused the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian guard. For two solid years, rotating guards coming through this. And by the way, these guards were such a high quality and such an intense type of guard. They could only serve for 12 years and then they were then retired. They were done. So these are some serious, rough characters. And here Paul has, by God's design, when life looked like they go going the wrong way, a captive audience there. Have you ever stopped to think about whatever you put in your blank, what you are chained to, what you feel like you can't get away from? That God has put you there for that particular reason because it is a chance for you to really display the confidence in the God you belong to and the gospel of his son. What an opportunity that provides. Paul for two years has been chained there and these guys are right there. I mean, just envision with me for a moment the scene I don't know about you, but I mean, I imagine it went something like this. Anytime I've ever gone to to a jail, not because I was arrested, okay? That was before Christ. That did happen. But since then, when I would go to do, quote, jail ministry, every time I go in to just visit people who are in the jail, you know what my question always is? So what you in here for? <laughs> and I just can only envision, all right, it's my time. Click, click. What you in here for? (laughs) And he says, well, I'm in these chains because of God. What? Yeah, I wanted to come to Rome, but God brought me here as a prisoner. And God has put me here so that I could have in a way I never imagined, have an opportunity to share with you the glorious gospel of my God. In fact, soldier, God was thinking of you when he brought me here. And these guys can go nowhere. And that's what they hear day in and day out. Can you just imagine when their duty is done? How was work today, man? Man, you should talk to this nut we got in here. (laughs) He is really something else. I've never been around anyone who is so courageous and confident and says God brought him for for this. And God had us on his mind when he brought me into this situation. Imagine when believers would come to visit Paul. In this prison. Imagine that they got to hear the conversations that Paul's having with these other brothers or sisters. They would have watched Paul be kind. They would have seen Paul's heart, his patience, his, his, his love for them, his affections. Maybe Paul even said, so why don't we pray about that issue we just talked about? And all the time the guards are hearing this and understanding more and more of what kind of man this is and what a Christian really looks like. And maybe they heard Paul pray a prayer that I think went maybe something like this when he's there chained to the guard talking to other believers and they end their visit with a prayer that maybe goes something like this. Oh God, I thank you that you put me in here. And I thank you that my brother came to see me here. And I thank you for the guy that's chained to me here. Lord, I thank you that he got to hear everything we've said. And I thank you that the guy that relieved him on the day shift yesterday, he got to hear it too. Oh God, you are so in control. I just bless you. I mean, let's not take the reality of this away. To say, okay, he said, my circumstances, God is further in the gospel. This is amazing. When life seems to be going in the wrong way, God is leading in the right way, providing opportunities you would never, ever have had before. And notice what he says in verse thirteen at the very end. It's not just those guards that I'm chained to, but everyone else. Who's that? Who's everyone else? Well, just flip over in your Bible to the end of Philippians and look at chapter 4 and He tells you who they are. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, He closes out His letter. All the saints greet you. Underline this. Circle it. Draw an arrow on it. Especially. Especially those of Caesar's household. I mean, we didn't take much to connect the dots. Somewhere that gospel is advancing through those guards into that house and the whole town is starting to hear about Christ. Now, wait a minute. I thought God was going to use me when I go in and set up a revival tent. I thought God was going to use me when I did a crusade. I thought God was going to use me when I built a big church and people came. No. Paul says, I'm going to have a jail ministry. But it's not walk in and walk out. It's walk in and never get to walk out. And I'm glad he put me there because there's where the gospel is progressing. God's work is going forward in a way far more than I ever would have imagined. Not just the guards, but everyone. Everyone is hearing it. Wow, what an amazing thing. So, this is what Paul wants them to do. And how do I know he wants them to have that kind of courage and confidence, just look down at verse 27 of chapter 1 and you'll see what, why I say that. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are, look at this, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, you are standing he knows that there are things in their world as well that potentially will shake them up. And he wants them to know, I'm writing this to you. I'm telling you about my circumstance. I want you to know this. And I want you to see the glorious and wonderful things that God does when life seems to be going in the wrong direction. Cause I want you to stand. Not just observe me and go, wow, can't believe he did that. Can't believe God enabled him to do that. I want you to stand. And you can stand. How do you do that? Well, here's the application points. Two things. These are what maybe we might call keys, and I don't want to treat them like magic keys. If you do this and turn the door, it opens like that. But they are at least practical ways to think about developing confidence in our life from what Paul has experienced. Number one, it starts with our attitude. Our attitude is one that we change our thinking about what, makes us confident now that's important because often what makes us confident is we can see the way we're going and it makes sense to us the way it's going and our confidence is it all worked out great that was wonderful wonderful You've all heard the story about the guy who was shipwrecked, right? He's he's out in his boat and he's shipwrecked. And it's not the story of Gilligan's Island, but it's a guy who was shipwrecked. And he's out and he's on the island and he knows he's stuck on the island and he can't get off. And so one day he's on the shore and he sees some of the wood from the ship wash up and he takes some of those things and he builds a little hut for himself to, to stay in to shelter him from the animals and, and the weather. And another day, some more things wash up and some tools so he can begin to kind of make life function in this desert, deserted island that he is on. Well, life has been going on like that. He thinks this is great. Circumstances are working out on this deserted island until one day when he comes back from being out in the field and he notices that his hut is on fire and it burns to the ground. Everything he owns is gone. You've heard this story. I know it's one of the most popular illustrations to try to get people to say, see, God's going to do something good. Right. So the story is that when he falls on his knees and he begins to cry to God, why would you burn my house down? Why would you burn everything I have to the ground? Then a ship pulls up and some sailors get off the ship, come to the shore to rescue him and said, hey, we saw your smoke signals. So we knew you must be here. We came to get you. And that illustration is used often. See, God is going to work it out. But look at Paul. There is no ship waiting in the harbor. There is no rescue team coming to get him. So his confidence can't be in that, well, things might change. What's going to change is the way he looks at it. Whether I ever get out of this, this is something I know that my attitude has to be that I am confident that God has brought me here for that purpose. And that's all that matters. I mean, that's why, listen, brothers and sisters, sometimes it is a waste of our time to keep trying to change our circumstances. Changing our circumstances is not what we're after. What we are after is changing our heart, changing our attitude, changing how we look at things. As I said before, it's not that your problem is too big. It's just that your view of God is too small. You want to change your attitude, how you look at that circumstance and say, God brought me here. And it's there in that situation where the gospel will most progress through my life for the good of others and the glory of our God. This is something that we need to keep in mind. We change our thinking about what makes us confident. It's not what's happening. It's who's in charge. It's who brought me here. It's why I'm here that makes me have this kind of confidence. You see, God is not waiting for the circumstances to be right in your eyes before he begins to use you. He is committed to producing courage in us and making us really effective right where we are today. Right in the context and the situation we are chained to. It could be your job. It could be others today who in your home you have trouble with your children. That is what you feel like you are chained to. It could be maybe you're tied to a desk. Maybe you're a salesman. Maybe you're tied to your car. Maybe you're tied to a classroom. Maybe you're tied to some illness, some debilitating disease, and it just looks like it's never going to get better, and it may never get better. Your confidence can still be there because it's not about what is going to happen. It's what you've decided to look at it like. You change your attitude and your thinking about what your confidence lies in. So, some of us tonight maybe need to take some serious consideration about why our confidence is eroding. Because we're putting in the wrong thing. Looking at the wrong thing. We tend to assume that the circumstances have to just be right before we can really be a confident, strong believer. Paul's life is shouting just the opposite to us here. So, Paul is not telling them, listen, if I can do this in jail, then maybe you can do this in your freedom. No, Paul is saying, you need to grasp that what I am doing here and have confidence in my God about in this circumstance, and surely in your circumstance, whatever it is, you can do it. You don't have to just wait for freedom to come. You can do it in the most unfree difficult times of your life. So it starts with our attitude. Number two, it comes out with an aim. We aim for something. We choose to see setbacks as God's way of spreading the gospel through us. The way Paul arrived at Rome could be looked at as, well, that was really a setback. That wasn't the plan. But Paul chose to see it as God giving him an opportunity to, that he may never have had. See, what we have to trust, God, at this point is that we are okay with reversals when there's no explanation. Okay with reversals with no explanation. Now, there is a reason for the reversal. There is a reason for the redirection. But we don't always get answers. I mean, what a comfort that should be to us that we don't always have to have answers, right? It's the Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine statement where the things that are revealed to us belong to us and our children so we can do all the words of His law. But the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And what we tend to want to do is to look at those setbacks and try to figure out what only God knows rather than focus on what He has revealed in His Word to do. And what he's chosen to do is to use us in that context to further spread the gospel to the world in which we find ourselves in. It seems like when God is moving you in reverse, it's really truthfully moving us forward in the right direction. So, that's Paul's confidence. Let me just take you then to the second thing and look at how Paul concludes here in verse 14. So he says, obviously, I want you to know I'm confident that I'm here. These circumstances have turned out for the greater progress. The gospel has spread through the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. It's just like wildfire. I mean, you can't keep me out of Caesar's house. I mean, they want to ban me from what I'm doing, but I'm in his house with the gospel. It's spreading through others who have been around. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more, there's our word again, courage to speak the word of God without fear. Here's what Paul is saying. They already have courage to some degree, but their courage is increased when they see what Paul is saying is going on in his life. Most of the brethren, not everybody, but most, That would be a majority are now trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. And they have far more courage to speak the word. It's not just that now they have the courage to live for the Lord in the public. They actually are opening their mouth and saying something about it. They're speaking up. That courage is now being transferred from what Paul is showing them about his life to them. And they are now able to have the courage to even speak up and say things about the Lord. Why is that? Don't you love this? Paul Paul was so right on because he's so inspired by God's Spirit to pen these words. They're not trusting in Paul. They're not trusting in themselves. They're not trusting in one another. They're not trusting in a program. They're not trusting in their church. They're trusting in, who does it say? The Lord. Remember, every command to be courageous is always followed by the why. Because of who I am. Because what I'm doing. And here he is saying he, they are trusting in the Lord and with that now they are able to speak courageous. Isn't it amazing? Can you just stop and think about this for a minute? How that just your desire and willingness to change your attitude about your circumstances, to see that God has brought you there to that place for his purposes can have a rippling effect Upon so many people. A rippling effect upon so many people. I mean, just one person, Paul, igniting a church. A majority of that church. What if every one of us in this room here, in whatever circumstance God has brought you to and put you in, you begin to change your attitude about things and then realize that that ripple effect is going to just exponentially affect so many people around you. Listen, brothers and sisters, if there is one thing that defines the culture we live in now, it is a a non-confident, discouraged culture. If there ever was a time when we would be the people who would let people see what real confidence, not because things are going well, not because... Whatever in the economy or ever in politics or whatever went our way, but because we are confident that we are in this time that God has given us mm-hmm. and our confidence and our trust is in a person. How infectious that could be. So how is that going to apply to us as we wrap up tonight thinking about two things that this courage means? Number one, confidence or courage means you choose to set your obst- see your obstacles as God's way of producing confidence in others. Your confidence, you choose that. This is not going to happen by accident. You're going to choose and you're going to say that I'm going to see that what I am going through is God's way of providing an opportunity that I never would have had before. Let me, let me just tell you a personal story of my life. It goes way back to my early Christian years, the first couple of years I was a believer. So before I came to the Institute, before I, I began pursuit for ministry, um, I worked for Duke Power. I think it's called Duke Energy now. But I worked for Duke Power at a nuclear power plant. And uh, in a nuclear power plant, they have these things called outages where they shut everything down. And basically in the summer, and you're going to go in and do repairs and you know, hope to goodness you fix it where nothing leaks out and kills a bunch of y'all, okay? <laughs> and so, and that should have been funny. Right? <laughs> You're trusting people like me, like. <laughs> so anyway, my, my supervisor's name was Shorty. Now Shorty was about that, at about 350, okay? And he's a rough old guy, kind of like one of these soldiers. And, uh, Shorty comes in, and I'm a, I'm just new to the company. I haven't gone through an outage before. And he says, I uh, need to let you know that uh, starting next week, we're going to be on a three-month outage. It's 24-7. In other words, you'll work 12 hours. Next shift, or will work 12 hours and all that. Well, I had almost an hour and a half drive back and forth to work, which meant around 14 hours of my day. Well, immediately as a believer, that bothered me. Not because I wanted to go play golf, not because I wanted to go out and spend some time in the summer on the lake, but because it meant as a believer I couldn't gather with the church on Wednesday or Sunday. And I'll never forget praying, you know, God, give me courage, just give me confidence. Help me, help me, help me, pray Lord. Change this outage. Shut it down. Just whatever. That was my prayer. Just give me confidence you can change this. And I'll never forget, the Lord made it really clear to me, I'm not going to change this. I'm going to change you. And so I marched myself up to Shorty. And I said, Shorty, uh, I can't work on Wednesdays or Sundays. He said, why? I said, because I need to go to church. He said, you're one of them. <laughs> I said, I am, <laughs> you know, and I said, um, he said, well, listen, if you miss three days, three times of work, the rule is you will lose your job. And I said, that's OK, Shorty. I'm, I'm OK with that. You can fire me. I will not be mad at you. I'm not going to take out a lawsuit on you. It's not going to anyway hurt my feelings at all. That'll be fine. God will take care of me. He is. Oh, why are you doing this to me? so I'm standing here he goes over to his phone in the shack it's not a book this is a place where we (laughs) would meet as a crew he calls up his boss man he says I got one down here the Lord says told him not to work (laughs) on Wednesdays and Sundays yeah I told him he would lose his job yeah I did he told me yep okay Shorty said well it's all in my hands I can do whatever I want I said well that's okay please don't give me any favoritism whatever you want to do I'll be fine but I won't be here I'll do this today. Now, I'll work extra hours for you. I'll do whatever I need to do to make up those hours, work the next shift with some people, but I'm not going to be here. So here's how the opportunity came up that I never imagined would happen, just being confident in my God. Thank, he did, I didn't lose my job, by the way. The ship did come. They rescued me and all that. So it all worked out good in my story. And it may not work out in yours, but I didn't care. I was content. I could lose the job. It really didn't matter. Well, about six months later, Shorty gets a phone call from his upper management boss and said, hey, is that guy down there still working for you? He goes, yeah, you mean that guy? That Yeah, that guy. Uh, and, he's, and he said, yeah, yeah, he's the real thing. And I heard this conversation because what was going on in our company was people would say, I need to go to church, but they really went to the lake or the golf course, right? They didn't go to church. Now he's a no, real thing. He said, well, I need you to send him up here to the office. I said, um, the boss man wants to see you up in the main office where the supervisor at. I go, why? He said, well, there's a girl up there who just found out she has cancer and she's terrified. She doesn't know what to do. So here I go. <laughs> All the big wigs. How y'all doing? <laughs> Yeah, I'm that guy from down there. I was told to come up here. (laughs) And I'll never forget, I got to sit down and say, what I thought was an obstacle, I then saw as an opportunity. God gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with this girl who did die, was going to die. And without the gospel, she would be eternally separated forever. You see, what I was scared of, the obstacle, really, in the end, was an opportunity that God had in store for me to be able to take the gospel, to progress it up through a secular culture in the upper office that never would have had the gospel up there had somebody not just been willing to say, hey, this is an opportunity. I don't know what God's going to do with it, but I'm going to do the right thing. And the end result was it turned out too good. Lastly, and I'll I'll close with this one. Confidence not only means... That you choose to see your obstacles as God's way of providing an opportunity that you never would have had before. But secondly, confidence means you choose to see your change as God's way of producing confidence in others. I've already explained that in the text there. But just think of these Philippian believers who God is now strengthening because of Paul's confidence. That when life seems to be going in the wrong direction, it's really going in the right direction. Because it's a direction for you to be an instrument in his redeeming hands, a tool of his to be able to impact others. How many times have you ever read where Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may be able to comfort others with the same comfort that we have been comforted with. Listen, I have counseled privately enough people in my life and always come to this place to where I will say, listen, I want to tell you something. You are here because God wants to transform and change your life and He will do that. But let me tell you something. He's got a bigger picture than you in mind. He's got somebody else. Another couple. He's got another man, another woman, another family, another sufferer. And you are in this moment because God has designed to use what you are going to grow confident in for somebody else's good. That is what it looks like to be confident. And as we begin to face the fact, change our attitudes about really the way life is going, and it's not really going in the wrong way. It is not the devil is messing up my life. Though there is a real devil. But I love the way Martin Luther said it. The devil is God's devil. And whatever he might be doing, he is not doing apart from my God. So if we can change our attitude, change our aim, what we're really after, we might begin as we start looking at seeing how we are in the place we are in tomorrow, develop some confidence like we just described and what confidence is intended to do. Well, let's pray and we'll come back again tomorrow after T comes in a minute. He's going to lead us in a song after I pray. Lord, thank you tonight for such a well-worn, well-known, well-memorized section of Scripture that I trust you have brought to life for us for a little bit tonight and made us really see that Paul's troubles and Paul's trials are designed to show us that there is no trouble, there's no trial, there's no difficulty inward or outward that you are not ready to meet us in. And that should stir in us confidence. Confidence that really we're not in the wrong place. Life is not going in the wrong direction. It is going in the direction that really you have designed for us so that your glorious gospel, the the wonderful good news of what you've done to redeem and reconcile sinners might be spread throughout every area where we are. Help us to see that. And we pray that even as we sing tonight, we would pray with a closing heart for you to speak to us, Lord. Just apply this to us. Do what only you can do by your Spirit in each of our hearts. Tailor it and and fit it and cut it and put it on us so that we can't escape what you want us to walk away with tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.